for our Bible reading this morning, I would like you to take your Bibles and turn with us to Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. Begin reading at verse 11. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And when he would have fain filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave him unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have better enough in despair, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And am the more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am the more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Reading Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. Let us pray. My holy and righteous Father, my God, my Savior, my Redeemer, my Comforter, I come to Thee as I am this morning with no strength. Depending wholly and completely upon Thee to work in our midst, to give what is needful that our hearts might be turned toward Thee. Our Father, we've come with the one cry that our blessed triune God would be lifted up in our midst. The glory of the Father and the glory of the Son and the glory of the Spirit will be manifested to each and every heart. We may worship Thee in the beauty of holiness 
and that our hearts may be laid bare before Thee. And we will be enabled by the Holy Spirit to look away to Christ and see in Him the all-sufficient One, the all-nourishing One, the One who gave Himself for us that He might bring us to God, the One and only substitute for sinners, the one who shed his precious blood that our sins may be washed and cleansed and blotted out before the Father's eyes. May he be lifted up. May the Holy Spirit work effectually in each and every heart. My Father, thou knowest this has been the burden of my heart this past week. as never before. For the work of thy Spirit in each and every one of our hearts. For all is in vain unless the Spirit works. Fathers, all of this material goes around the world. As these study courses of the Father are taken by the students around the world. As the tapes are played in thousands of homes. It's all in vain unless the Holy Spirit works. And we realize this and understand this. And acknowledge this before thee this morning. But you told us in thy precious word. Ask and we shall receive. Seek and we shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto us. And everyone that asketh receiveth. And everyone that seeketh findeth. That unto him who knocks it shall be opened. But father if his son asked him for bread would he give him a stone? If he asked him for an egg, would he give him a scorpion? If we be an evil, know how to give good gifts unto our children. How much more shall our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? Then we come asking, in the name of Christ this morning, for the filling of the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit will opened every eye and every heart that you'll give us see in eyes and hearing ears and that thy word may go home in power and much assurance to each and every heart we wait before thee to do thy work and ask that thou wilt deal with precious souls for it is in Christ's name we ask Amen I've been bringing a series of messages on the Beatitudes, and today should have been number eight, blessed or they who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for there's the kingdom of heaven. But as I began to try to get into it, I could not, and God laid this portion of scripture upon my heart in Jeremiah 31. Turn with, you, turn with us in your Bibles. And I pray that these three verses will become living verses to each and every one of our hearts. The more I cried to God for His word to go forth, the more I cried to Him for His <clears throat> message this morning, more and more these words kept coming to my soul. Jeremiah 31, 18, 19, and 20.
I have surely heard Ephraim bemoan himself thus, Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised. As a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke, turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Surely after that I was turned, I repented. And after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh, and I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. If you want to find in the word of God, the dealings of the Holy, by the Holy Spirit with the heart of a man or a woman or a young person or a child to bring them to Christ. You will find it here in these three verses. The work of God's Spirit and granting repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, turning precious souls unto Christ, granting them that faith to lay hold of the Lord Jesus, to see in him a beauty and a holiness that they have never seen before, and a desire to be turned from themselves and from sin and from the wrath of God and from hell and to be one with the living God. It's all in these verses, and I trust by the grace of God he will open up his word to our hearts this morning. I don't know whether you've experienced it or not. I don't know how God has worked in your heart. I don't know how the Holy Spirit has opened your heart, if He ever has. But if He has, you know this morning... that the greatest thing in all the world is to know Christ and to be in Him and to be hid by faith in His wounds and to know that your sins have been forgiven and have been blotted out in a thick cloud never to be remembered against you anymore. And the Lord Jesus Christ has become precious unto your soul, as Peter said unto them, therefore which believe, he is precious. And he is. And here in our text this morning, these three verses, I would like to go over them and show you what's here. And then to show you by the grace of God how the Holy Spirit works effectually and the souls that he brings to Christ. You'll notice that there's one word that stands out in each verse of Scripture, and that's the word surely. In verse 18, I have surely 
heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. Verse 19, Surely after that I was turned, I repented. And verse 20, The Lord said, I will surely have mercy upon Ephraim, saith the Lord. It is the Lord speaking in verse 18, And the Lord said, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. The question is, what was Ephraim saying? He was saying, Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised. And this was his complaint. As a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. Then this was his prayer and his plea. For he knew he couldn't he knew he could not turn himself. Turn thou me, for I am helpless and hopeless to turn myself from seeing. But if you turn me, by the Holy Spirit and by thy grace, I shall be turned. And this is what he based everything upon, is those last words of verse 18. God heard him. Surely I have heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. Ephraim had admitted that he had been chastised and yet he could not turn. And even though he had been chastised as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke, he could not turn for he found he had no power to turn. So he cries to the living God. And one of the most blessed truths in all the world and all the Word of God is this. Are you listening? The Lord God of glory hears the cry of those who cry after Him. I don't care where you are. I don't care who you are. The Lord God of glory hears the cry of those who desire him to turn them. So this was his plea. This was his cry. Turn me. For I am helpless to turn myself from sin. But he said, if you turn me, then I shall be turned. For thou and thou only art the Lord my God. And that's what he based everything on as he came to the Lord. And this is what we base everything on, is that the Lord God of the Bible, the Lord God of glory, the one who took our place upon the cross, the one who gave himself without spot to God, they might be our Redeemer and our gracious Deliverer. If he turns us, that's our hope, is in him. Praise God that when He gives us the cry to be turned. Praise God that when He gives us the cry to be turned to Him from sin. Praise God that we, when we find out our helplessness and hopelessness apart from the work of the Spirit, 
when we find out our helplessness and hopelessness apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our souls, there is one who hears. And there is one who will turn. For thou art the Lord my God. Then what happened? Verse 19, Surely, after that I was turned, after I, after I was turned, I repented. God heard his cry. God heard his plea. Not only had he a change of mind about sin, but he turned to Christ from sin, something he could not do before. I want you to hear my next statement. Pray the Holy Spirit will write it upon each and every heart. Will you listen to me? People, most individuals, when they talk of repentance, they look at it as being only a change of mind. But repentance is twofold. It is not only a change of mind, but it is a turning unto God from sin. Not only is sin hated in the heart, and there's a change of mind about sin and about the living God, but there is a turning by the Spirit of God through God from sin. Because this is what Paul said about the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, how you believed and how you turned to God from sin. So a turning is away from sin, away from self, away from the world, and it's a turning unto God. Surely after that I was turned, God had to turn him, then he said, I repented. My mind was changed about sin. My mind was changed about the Lord God of heaven. But not only that, I come to hate that which I loved and that was sin. And I come to love that which I hated and that was holiness. And I was turned from sin. Beloved, if there is not that work of grace in the heart, then there is not true repentance. For true repentance turns a man to the living God. There is action because the Holy Spirit causes him to turn. And because his heart is opened and he wants to be, <clears throat> he wants to be in the living God. Then what happened? I was instructed by the Holy Spirit, he said, about my sinnership and God's holiness, his hatred for sin and his wrath against sin. My mind was changed. Then I want you to notice in verse 19 that he was instructed. God the Holy Spirit had instructed him in the ways of salvation. He instructed him in the ways of repentance. 
He instructed him in what sin had done to his never-dying soul. He was instructed in the way in what the Lord Jesus Christ had wrought for him upon the cross. He was instructed. He might not have known what the covenant of grace was. He might not have known anything about election, which is a blessed, blessed truth of God's eternal word. I believe it with all my heart. All he knew was that he was instructed that he was a sinner, and he was instructed in the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he died for him upon the cross. After he repented, he was instructed, and then he smote himself. Like the publican in the temple in Luke 18, He smote himself upon his breast and cried unto God, Be merciful to me, a sinner. But not only was he ashamed as he smote himself, but he was confounded. That is, that he had lived so long in rebellion against God. He was confounded in that he had hated God. And there was no love in his heart for God. And he desired to be let alone. And then he began to look and see, and the reproach of his youth, the sins of his youth, began to come up before him. It's like ghost at midnight. And it looked like everything was coming out of the closet against him. I know when God was dealing with my heart for salvation. It seemed to me that everybody in the house, everybody in the service, knew all about me. As God was showing me my heart and instructing me, and I was ashamed. I was ashamed of sin. I was ashamed of my hatred for God. I was ashamed that I had put the Son of God to death. And the sins of my youth began to come back. Beloved, there's nothing in the world like the Holy Spirit pointing out our sins and bringing our hearts to bear in upon what we were, what we had done. How we had lived in rebellion against a holy and a righteous God. How we hated Him. How we did not want Him. But our whole being was in revolt against Him. As most of you knew, I grew up in a pastor's home. I could not hardly wait to get out of that house and get on my own and go my way. I wanted none of that. Even though I had made professions and were baptized and all of that sort of thing, I still hated God. 
And I look back at the mercy of God toward me. I ask God I ask God to give me a broken heart this morning. I wanted to preach this message with a broken heart. I did not come here to beat you down. I come here to bring a word of comfort. Because there's nothing in the world any more comforting to an awakened, condemned soul than to know that the God of heaven hears and that there's hope in Christ. Most of you don't know, but I got married when I was 19. Six weeks later, I went in the hospital for my first back operation in October 1942. Four months later, I went up for induction. And that was the providence of God. I stayed 4F the whole war. I went straight to hell because I was hell-bent and hell-bound and drank sin like water. I loved it. But when the Spirit of God came and began to open my heart, the reproach of my youth, how I had lived Because you see, I walked as a self-righteous Pharisee as a preacher's son for years. Everybody thinking that all was well with me and doing nothing but living in rebellion against God. I was ashamed. Then I want you to notice how blessed verse 20 is. The Lord God of glory is speaking. And he says, Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I did earnestly remember him still. Therefore my vows and my inward parts are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him saith the Lord. Did you hear those words? Those are precious words. The Lord God of glory said, this Ephraim who's crying to me for mercy, this Ephraim who's crying to me to be turned, he's my dear child. He's my dear son. He's a pleasant child. He's one for whom Christ died. He's one for whom I sent my only begotten Son to shed His precious blood to wash Him and cleanse Him and make Him whole. I spake against Him because my wrath was kenneled against Him. But now He's coming back. He's laying down every arm of rebellion. He's hoisting the white flag of surrender. Can't you see Him? So the Lord of glory says, I remember him. I earnestly remember him. And the loving kindness and tender mercies of God were such 
and his whole being went out to him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Brother, the most precious, the most gracious thing in all the world is to come to the living God as a sinner and nothing at all and find in Jesus Christ our all in all. You might call that my lengthy introduction. But let me see if I can give you thought after thought along these lines. Have you and I ever been sinners bemoaning ourselves before God? I trust that you came this morning with this thought in mind. My God, whatever message you've laid upon that man's heart to deliver to my soul, let me hear it. It's going to be just for me. And may it be just for you. And just for me. I want you to notice that Ephraim was bowed down with a peculiar grief, a particular grief. He was not concerned about bodily pain. He was not concerned that he had (coughs) lost money in the stock market. He was not concerned about his house having burned down and he lost everything. He was not moaning because he had lost his job. No. His sorrow was another kind. He was bemoaning himself because he saw himself to be a lost sinner before God. And that's the only kind that God says for he tells us <clears throat> in Luke 1810, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Have we ever had that that one particular grief? It cares not what happens to me, how much bodily pain I have, whether I'm poor, whether I'm rich. When I've got a grief that the world knows nothing about, I've got a grief down here in my soul because the Holy Spirit has opened my heart to let me see that I stand before God as a guilty lost soul. And I am helpless to turn myself from sin. I cannot get rid of my sin. Try as I will, I cannot get rid of it. I must own it before God. I must come before Him as a lost sinner. So therefore He was bemoaning Himself about the fact that he was a lost sinner, bowed down because of the weight of sin <coughs> that was upon him. Now, why, <coughs> why was he found here to have a godly sorrow? Because a godly sorrow is a very wonderful thing for God to give us. He tells us in Second Corinthians chapter 7 that this godly sorrow that he gives to us For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. 
He says in that ninth verse, Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Beloved, we do not need, we do not want the sorrow of the world that worketh death. Now there's much sorrow in this world, there's much sorrow in our lives, there's much sorrow in everything. And I'd like to see the man that suffers in body any more than I do. I've had a migraine headache since Friday. Last time I had that, when I come to the pulpit, God let me preach it out. I'm hoping he'll do the same thing this morning. I'd like to see the man that's had more pain than I have in my 76 years. I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you. But beloved, that is not my, that is not my concern. Sure I hurt. Sure I've had a lot of pain. But the pain of sin is what concerns me. Sin against God. Sin against the goodness of God. Against the mercy of God. Against the love of God. And that's what concerns me. I want to live a holy life. I want to sorrow over sin. I want it to be real. I want that sorrow over sin to be a real thing. I do not want it to just be a light thing that I touch on every now and then. But I want it to be a sorrow worked in my heart by the Spirit of God. And that, that sorrow, that godly sorrow for sin, verse 11 tells us what it is of Second Corinthians 7. For behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. And brother, if, if there's any person in the world will be careful about how they walk and how they talk is a person who knows what sin is and what true repentance is. They're careful. There's carefulness. Yea, what clearing of ourselves. The soul that has true repentance is a soul that keeps short accounts with God. He comes in confession. He comes laying it out before the Lord. And he clears himself by confessing before God what's in his heart. He doesn't <clears throat> try to beat around the bush with God. And then not only that, but yea, what indignation. And there's an indignation, a hatred for sin, that goes along with true repentance, both in the sinner coming to Christ and in the believer's heart as he repents day after day. And then, beloved, true repentance has a godly fear in it. That's what he says. What carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation against it, you hate it, yea, what fear. The fear of God is before our eyes. And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We talk about, we talk about the believer the believer talks, there's place after place in the New Testament where it says that we are to walk in the fear of God, not the fear of damnation, not the fear of wrath, not the fear of retribution from God, but the fear of sinning against God. And the man who has truly repented, he walks 
fear and sinning against the one he loves. The next expression, yea, what vehement desire. I wish you'd look up these words yourself. Get your thesaurus and look up these words and see what they mean. That vehement desire. That is the most blessed thing in the world. Is for us to give, for God to give us such a desire after Christ. Such a desire to be finished with sin. Such a desire to lay down everything at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and crown Him Lord of our lives continually. That vehement desire to turn to Him. And then that zeal that He gives us for the things of the Lord. And then what revenge we want to take against sin. In all these things you approve yourselves to be clear in this matter. So there is a godly sorrow that's a well-founded sorrow. Why? Because it sees that you've been fighting against the Lord of the universe. And that your nature is so full of sin that to continue in your way of rebellion against God is death and hell unless the Holy Spirit comes and grant you full repentance and full confession unto the living God. But praise God. Praise God when we find ourselves helpless and hopeless before God as Ephraim. Surely he heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. Thou hast chastised me and I was chastised. As a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me and I shall be turned. For thou art the Lord my God. And true godly <clears throat> sorrow for sin. Sorrows over the fact that we were continually in rebellion against the living God. The one we are utterly and completely dependent upon to give us that true confession of sin. As we find ourselves helpless and hopeless apart from him. Beloved, I speak the truth in Christ Jesus that I lie not. Every soul whom God has ever saved has known what it is to stand before a holy God helpless and hopeless. I can't make God save me. I can't get rid of my sins. I can't turn from them. I long to. I cry against them. I weep unto God. He and He alone is my help and my hope. I must come to Him. I must find in the Lord Jesus Christ all that God promises me. Helpless and hopeless. He does not flatter himself. He does not excuse himself. He does not say, well, I'm going to offer some new resolutions unto God. He can't keep them. No. 
I want to do one thing. I'm going to cry to him. Can I tell you my heart? When God in His mercy had opened my heart by His Spirit, let me see my far distance from a holy and a righteous God, helpless and hopeless. This is what I told Him. Thou art sovereign. You can save me or damn me. But I'm going to continue to call upon your name until you do one of the two. I did not know it, beloved, but that that was bowing to the Lordship of Christ. He had the right of way in my heart and life to do as he pleased. What did he do? Praise God, he saved my never dying soul. Isaiah 44, 22 came home with such power to my soul, I've never got away from it. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. I have blotted them out, never to be remembered against you anymore. And how could he blot them out? Every morning we have prayer meeting between 8 and 9. And we start off by reading one of Spurgeon's morning devotions. Saturday, Friday morning was a blessing to my heart. As the devotion was read, I could see my Lord stripped tied to the post and the cruel lash was coming with all of these bones matted into the end of them and they had no mercy upon him again and again and again They lacerated his back until the meat began to come off of his bones. Why was he there? Why was he a sheep before her shearers is dumb and opened not his mouth? Because in the garden the Father had laid all of my sins upon him. And he was the sinner. He was guilty. He was taking my place. And as that whip came across his back, and the blood was flowing freely down, and his back was lacerated, and he hadn't even got to the cross yet, I sat there with my eyes closed as that was read. And my whole being went out to him. And he did that for me. That's the reason I wanted him. That's the reason I want him today. He loves you. And they put that cross on the top of all of that laceration. 
and he fell beneath that cross. Simon, they put the cross on Simon to take it there. But greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friend. He lay down his life for me. Beloved, it's personal. I wanted to be turned. I didn't want my sin anymore. I had seen the Lord of glory, and I wanted Him. Blessed Holy Spirit, do that in our hearts this morning. He was not excusing Himself. He was taking the blame for all of His sins. They were all His. Nobody else's. He saw that all of his righteousnesses were just a bundle of filthy rags in the sight of God. He needed to be made clean. And how was he going to be made clean? For he had seen himself, as Revelation 3 describes, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. That's our concept of ourselves until God comes by the Spirit. And know it's not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And to this wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked sinner, which was me, that was held out this hope. In the 18th verse of Revelation 3, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eye with eye salve that thou mayest see. The Lord of glory comes by his Spirit to counsel us. Buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. That's why money doesn't mean a thing in the world to me. You know what a dollar bill means to me? Preaching the gospel. That's all it means. And God furnishes what I need to get by on. Food and clothing and shelter. But in Christ, I, I have, I'm rich. I'm rich. And then he counsels us to come to him and get a white robe. That we may be clothed. But the shame and the nakedness does not appear. And he clothes us in his perfect righteousness. And then what else does he do? Praise his name. He anoints our eyes with eye salve. Our spiritual eyes. And we may see a beauty and a glory in Christ that we have never seen before. When was the last time that you pinched your tent at Calvary? And sat down there in the front of your tent and gazed intently upon the Lord of glory being made seen for us. I don't expect you to see him with your natural eye. But when the Spirit of God anoints the eye of faith, you're able to see him who is bleeding and dying. And I might be set free. That's grace. And what do we see in Him? 
as I said before unto them therefore which believe he is precious I see nothing but pure love and he has loved me with an everlasting love and with loving kindness he has drawn me all these many years after himself as I look that I behold and that love gets a hold of my heart my whole being goes out to him and every day by the grace of God I give myself whole and completely to him and this is what I tell him here's my feet in my hands, my eyes, my lips, my ears, my emotions, my imaginations, my understanding, my affection, my will. It's all mine. I belong to you. Why? He loves me. He cares for me. Not only do I see love, but I see loving kindness and tender mercies coming forth from the Son of God. And the Father said, Let that sinner go free, for a ransom has been found. When's the last time you sat down with, with him and heard those words, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and to anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. And you know as that as you look by faith and behold him who died in your place. You know that that blood in heaven speaks for you now. And will ever speak by the grace of God. But I want you to notice that those last <coughs> few verses, as we try to bring this to a close. First of all, he found himself to be helpless and hopeless. He could not turn himself. But in the latter part of verse 18, we find that he had the living God. For thou art the Lord my God. Though you slay me, yet will I trust you. Surely after I was repented, I was instructed... And then in verse 20, Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. 
surely. This is what the Lord has done. And here, here is love. Here is the love of God acknowledging <clears throat> the precious soul that has been turned unto him by the Holy Spirit. Here is, the, here is love acknowledging on God's part his choice. For he says, Ephraim is my dear son. Ephraim is my pleasant child. I've known him from eternity. I had to bring him to a place where he knew that he was a sinner. Helpless and hopeless. Here he is. He's turned to me by my grace. Can you imagine that? That's hard to believe, isn't it? That this very man who was chastised and couldn't turn is now the Son of God. A pleasant child of God. My dear son, a pleasant child. But Lord, Ephraim's been full of rebellion from his birth. Yes, but he confessed it. He mourned over it. He cried to me about it. He desired to turn from it. And I was drawing him all the time. I was the one that was giving him holy sorrow. I was the one <clears throat> that showed him his polluted nature and his polluted sin. I was the one that gave him grace to turn. And when he cried, turn me and I shall be turned, I gave it to him. So now I take pleasure in him. I think that is, that is one of the most precious, comforting thoughts to me. That the Father would take pleasure in me. Call me his pleasant child. If you think I'm preaching too much in the first person this morning, <coughs> come back 40 years from now if I'm still living, I'll still be doing it because that's the only way I know how to preach. Well, that's what God's done for me. I just wanted to tell you about it. But even to this very day, I ask him, Lord, why did you set your love upon me? Why were others reprobated? You set your love upon me. It is because I've loved you with an everlasting love. And with loving kindness I have drawn you unto myself. And this is what he did to Ephraim. He is my dear son. He is my pleasant child. So the father takes him. And he hides him away in his bosom. What? A sinner? Who deserves nothing but hell? Being hid in the bosom of the father? Treated as if he was Christ? An heir of God and a joint heir of the Lord Jesus Christ? What a relationship. What grace. What mercy. 
that God would so deal with our hearts that he would do this for a poor hell-deserving sinner like me. Brother, never got over it. I never will get over it. And for eternity, I will never get over it. Because I will be praising him in my new body forever and forever in what he's done for me. The Father accepts us in Christ and the Beloved. He is so sympathetic with us. Did you hear those words? He was so sympathetic with it with us that he says, My bowels, my inward parts are troubled for him. If you hear this morning like Ephraim, it is it can be said of you. The sympathy of God in love goes out to your soul in Christ. His inward parts are troubled for you. He invites you to come. But not only does He have sympathy with us, but His love is always in action. For He closes these verses with this, with this thought. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. That's love in action. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. And that's what he says to our hearts this morning. If you hear like Ephraim, if, if this is the picture of your soul, in these three verses that we've tried to expound this morning by the grace of God, I tell you that his whole being has gone out after you in sympathy. And love in action that his mercy, his compassion upon you is so great that he cannot and will not let you go for Christ's sake. He will continue to draw you with cords of kindness and cords of love unto himself until he'll do what he did for me. I've quoted it. Now let me read it to you. Isaiah 44:22. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. I point you to Christ. I point you to the Lord God of glory, who has redeemed. He says, return. He says, come. For all things are now ready. I've held out to you hope this morning. I've held out hope in Christ, not in yourself. And I point you unto Him. What do you need? You need to be turned? Tell Him. You need a broken heart? Can't give it to yourself. Tell him. You need faith to trust him? Tell him. You need that desire to be holy as he is holy? Tell him. Pour out your heart before him. He'll hear you. All I can do is groan. And all I can do is moan. That's all right. He still hears that. And his heart goes out to you. He will hear 
those that call upon his name. If I ever had it, if I ever had an audience that listened, you listened this morning. God's been in our midst. I've tried to lift up Christ as our only help and our only hope. And I trust that that's what you came to hear. If you came to hear a new doctrine, I haven't learned it yet. The only doctrine I know is the doctrine of Christ. What he's done. My poor never dying soul. I'm glad you came. I'm glad you listened. And I trust that there are those here in whose heart God has planted help and hope and given you that repentance and faith to turn to Him. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.stillwater.com swrb.com We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue Edmonton, that's E-D- M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.